Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. Hello, welcome back. Um, we are here today, Lauren and myself. I feel like I want to like repeat our pronouns at the top of each episode. Mm. It's just coming up for me lately, you know? Um, so this is Tristan. I use they, them. Lauren, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, this is Lauren. I use she, her. Wonderful. Thank you. And we are joined by Avery today. Avery, um, I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, we've been scheduling this on and off for months now with the podcast break and whatnot, but we finally made it happen. Um, would you like to introduce yourself, share your name, your pronouns? We also always prompt our podcast guests to share um, their identities uh, and any astrology pit placements that feel relevant or fun for you to, to share as well. Cool. I love astrology. So that's fun. Um, hi, everyone tuning in to our conversation. I'm Avery. My pronouns are they, them. Um, I live on unceded Tewa land in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I'm so excited to be part of this conversation. Um, in terms of social location, I am a white person. So I am racist and anti-racist, these things are not a binary. Mm-hmm. That um, aspect is kind of woven into every other identity, right? Like it's such a, a fabric and we can't really parse out the different threads. I'm queer, I'm trans, I'm a non-binary person. I am a neurodiverse person. I have mixed class privilege. I'm a parent, um, I'm able-bodied. I am an artist. And I've done circus and drag shows and sex work and organic gardening and a whole lot of interesting things in addition to having a really consistent yoga practice for the last 22 years or so. Mm -hmm. I've been a full-time yoga teacher since 2004. 
And I didn't start out with Iyengar yoga, um, but that's, that's my favorite lineage and practice. Um, yeah, I'm so excited for the conversation. I am really interested in the intersections of how yoga practice can help us make something like justice work or social change or collective healing tangible, possible, nourished, nourishing. I think we're in a really paradoxical and tough time and a time of amazing opportunity and the emergence of things that um, maybe have we've had the ability to hide or avoid or be in denial about, but now are like, they're really here. It's all right here. It's happening. And so it's feels like kind of a harsh, exhausting moment for many of us. And also I know that there's so much more beyond the known and that is emerging right now. Like we are in a time of transformation. There's a Iyengar quote I love that says the known is finite. The unknown is infinite. Go more and more into the unknown, hmm. which of course is what I always am kind of seeking in my practice and teaching of yoga. But I, I stumbled upon that sense yesterday. Like I really have faith in the unknown. <laughs> the known feels hard and messy at the moment. And there is, there's so much we don't know. There's so much, many ways of relating and being that are yet to be sort of birthed into existence. And we are part of that process. And so I'm really leaning into, um, yeah, a sense of faith in the unknown. So I'll bring that in right away. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. I think Avery. that's all we need. Um, we can go ahead and end the recording. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Oh my God. Avery, was... t- tell us your astrology placements. Oh, before right, we... right. Oh, I you're totally good, lost but, yeah. track of that thread. I was like, did I name this? Did I name that? So I have a ton of mutable signs in my chart. So I'm definitely kind of like a a person who bridges a lot of paradoxes, who is a lot, like there's a lot of, um, and (laughs) like, yes. And, um, I have a lot of air in my chart. I have, my son is in Gemini. I have a Libra moon. I feel like I'm almost like getting naked now on the internet or something. (laughs) Um, my rising is sad but I also have a lot of Virgo in my chart, more behind the scenes, like the sort of lower three chakras. I don't know if you relate the planets to the chakra system, but that's a thing, which is actually what sort of got me interested in astrology. It it made it way more interesting when I realized this is a way to understand the map or the predisposition. And therefore I can start to work on these patterns, right? It made it very personal. So, um, So Saturn, Jupiter, Mars are all in... Virgo. And then I have, um, what else is in the mix? I have a Taurus Chiron. I have a, my Venus, my, um, like heart then to kind of balance all that out, sort of like this one water sign is in cancer. So it's such a interesting mix. I feel like I'm sort of this, um, I don't know, like I definitely can be in the spotlight and be kind of like a sparkly person on the stage and have this very big public personality. And I'm also super tender and nurturing. And it's interesting. Um, 
sometimes like how the world sees you versus how you experience yourself. I, I feel like those are sometimes very different. Um, and, and that's okay. It's all real, right? Like we can be many different things and that doesn't mean they're not all equally honest, even if some of them are seemingly, um, contradictory or, mm. um, yeah, binary or opposite. So anyway, that's a piece of my chart. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of mutable, a lot of air, um, a lot of energy, a lot of love, a <laughs> lot of messiness. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for that question. And I love that you talk about it as like you bridge a lot of these ands. That to me makes so much sense now because I've taken a couple of your online Iyengar classes and that was my experience of you as a yoga teacher. And those are always my favorite um, teachers and classes where there's just, it feels like there's space for all of us, like your whole mm. self is welcome. And even just the way that you talked about your chart, like you, it sounds like, and I'm guessing this probably took some time to come to in a lot of self-work, but you have made space for all of these parts of yourself to show up however they want to. Yeah. It really comes through when you talk about that. Oh, sweet. Thank you. Yeah. That's the work I think really, like how do we create space, stable, like almost how to, cause it's interesting. My teacher, Patricia Walden, says you can't really create space, mm. um, but you can create the conditions for space to arise. So how do we build the structure? How do we, whether it's organizing your bones and your body, or maybe it's like the structure of a relationship or of a community agreements, right? Like how do we build the structures to create space? Instead of thinking we have to fit into a space where there's not space for us, right? Like that's so much of what we've done and what I've kind of struggled with in being in the yoga world and in the world in general. And so, yeah, I'm interested in that spaciousness where there's space for us to be our whole full selves. And in that, affirm that for everyone around us, like what would the world look like if we weren't playing the game fitting into boxes and conforming into the things we think we have to do to prove that we're lovable and worthy of being here. And instead, if we knew that, that we could actually be really tenderly, vulnerably honest, like our full selves, there's an Alok um, interview recently. Mm. I love them. Oh my God. <laughs> and they said, I know which one you're referring to. It's so good. Yes. Yeah, um, they said, what is it to love the unlovable things within ourselves and within others? That's the work I'm interested in doing. That really stuck with me, right? Because we do so much, I think, to prove that we are lovable or we have something valuable to offer, or maybe we have something valuable to offer and therefore we're lovable. There's some piece about that that really resonates for me. Um, and so what is that, right? Like the parts that are messy and still a work in progress and maybe are the ways that we've embodied or internalized systemic oppression that we're playing out, but we haven't figured out how to change that pattern. Like there's so much that's a work in progress right now. And, and what would it be to extend love to those shadowy, messy, shameful, weird, parts that we've kind of been socialized 
to hide? Um, like, what would it be like to just to be together in a way where we had nothing to hide and where there was no shame? That's really the space I want to create in my yoga classes and any space ultimately that I'm part of. Um, and again, it's a conundrum, right? Because I have shame. I have um, many ways that I play weird games and hide who I am or navigate like, well, when is it safe to bring this part out? You know, like as a gender non-conforming person, I have to play that game a lot. It's not, and, and that's not just some pattern, like that's, that's survival, right? Like that's navigating a world that is, is also in its own growing curve. And there's a lot of spaces where maybe it's the best choice not to be my full authentic vulnerable self right and like what how do we I guess it comes back to that idea of creating a container like how do we discern oh like here's maybe not the space where I can really be my whole weird self but maybe over here I can be like I hope we can find the spaces that where we can take off our armor that feels really important to me yeah mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I'm looking at Tristan's face. I'm just like, you can up. just keep talking. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I knew this Feel was going to happen. Me in. I can, I'm a talker. It's that Gemini sun. Just go for it. Avery, tell me, tell us how you discovered yoga, how you started practicing and what led you to teaching and why Iyengar. Sure. Yes. A great question. Thanks for creating space for it. So I was a teenager in the 90s. It was a different time then. There were not a lot of out queer people around, but I really sought them out in high school years, which led me to basically get involved with the rave scene of the late 90s in New Mexico, which was actually a very sweet, magical, beautiful community um, to go dance in the desert. And uh, as part of that, I ended up just getting involved with a lot of drug use, which then after a few years, I just had a hard time putting that down. There was a, a piece about that period of time though, where there was a really amazing sense of belonging. Um, like finding other queer teens felt so important to me, like life-saving, even though it um, was mixed in with some things that, you know, were not great. Um, and there was a piece of that, that really, I did a lot of psychedelics and it made me so curious about what is consciousness and how can we be in relationship with consciousness in a more deliberate way or in a way where maybe there's a little space to be autonomous or to, to not just assume that our perspective is the reality, right? That like, actually there are different lenses. We, the way that we are can affect how we experience each other and the world. And that consciousness is actually this big mysterious thing not to be taken for granted. And so like, sometimes I would drop acid and leave the party and just kind of wander off and just start meditating and then come back hours later at dawn and my friends would be like, where were you? And I would have kind of gone on this whole little journey. So there was something 
from an early age about that curiosity. And who knows, I grew up with hippie parents in rural West Virginia. I spent a lot of time out in the woods. We didn't have a TV, we had an outhouse. Like it was a really different sort of childhood, um, which was awesome in a lot of ways. And also definitely right away gave me the feeling of being an outsider, um, despite the various ways that I hold privilege. Um, so who knows, who knows what all of that was about, but which is to say when I found yoga, I think I was 19, like a lot of people started yoga, I think maybe through a fitness lens or they had some injury, but for me, it was really, I was so hungry to figure out what is it to be, um, to be in this human body and to have a relationship and then an ability to change our experience of being conscious. Like it was really a curiosity about consciousness. And I also love to dance. I love to be in my body. So there was something about, oh, the body as a gateway to exploring consciousness that felt right away like something worthwhile and intriguing. Um, and so I just started a little practice and looking back, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I just had this idea, like I'm just gonna practice every day. And maybe it was just sort of like going up on my roof at the time I was living in Baltimore, going to art school and working as a stripper, but I would like find some little spot and just do a little something like a few sun salutations, sit, breathe. Um, and from there, I just kind of kept going with it. The thing was, I, I started off with more of an Ashtanga style practice. I had a lot of flexibility, so I kept getting hurt. I kept getting hurt. I have always been a person with a lot of uh, fluidity, trouble with boundaries. My body can bend in a lot of different ways, but those aren't always, it's, it's actually not so great, right? To not have boundaries and be like a pond that just flows in all directions. <laughs> like it's actually not so great. So in, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened. I moved to New Zealand there, you know, I've discovered Vipassana meditation that really helped me to stop using substances and regain a sense of power and kind of all this time I was also navigating ADHD, but without being diagnosed. So I really found the yoga and meditation to be this incredible way to get my mind to settle down enough so I could function. So that was also a piece. Then there was like uh, content warning, trigger <laughs> warning, um, a sexual assault that happened in there. So then that also was a whole layer where the yoga became really a way to come back into my body after being dissociative. Um, so there were many layers where I sort of kept building in this relationship of, oh, my yoga practice is really key. No matter what, I'm going to keep showing up for that. So fast forward to, I guess, 2003, I met a teacher named Kim Schwartz, who was not a certified Iyengar yoga teacher, but had studied for about four decades with one of Iyengar's main students, Ramanan Patel. And so for the next 15 years, I studied really intensely with Kim and pretty much anyone else who had anything to do with Iyengar yoga. My entry point was a little different because I studied a lot with people who had been in the official system of Iyengar yoga and then left. So I felt like I was collecting these clues and pieces on some level, it was amazing because I got to access a lot of these amazing practices outside of some of the um, strictness and what maybe some people would call like a dogmatic vibe that is sometimes, not always, but sometimes in Iyengar yoga. 
Um, so I learned a lot and it was a completely different way of understanding what it was to do asana, to do pranayama, to have a body. I went from the most advanced level back to the level three, to the level two, to the level one. I realized I just need to restart everything. Um, and I learned really how to stabilize my joints and set things up so that I actually could shift out of the patterns in my body, but also in my mind and my nervous system that were so prevalent. So that was really my entry point to Iyengar yoga was this incredible discovery of stability work. And then over many years, I started to just get very interested, like, well, what is actual Iyengar yoga, not Iyengar inspired or Iyengar-ish? Like, who are these people and where are they? I lived, this was, you know, I had moved back to Albuquerque. There wasn't an Iyengar, official Iyengar studio here or even a teacher. So my path was long and winding. Eventually when I found, you know, sort of what you would consider the, like in the system, Iyengar yoga, by that time I was so hungry for it that I just loved it, you know? And that whole time I was also navigating, living this double life of not really being out in yoga, of having sort of my queer weirdo activism, organizing drag shows, community events over here and then yoga professionalism, getting tons of probably way too many certifications, workshops, you know, like that imposter syndrome driven piece of like, well, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta show that I'm really the serious best student. Um, and then bit by bit more, you know, in recent years, I've just been working to bring those worlds together because Yoga has been so vital and healing and empowering for me on so many levels. It's also been a site ultimately to experience myself beyond binary gender. Like it has been a site of gender euphoria, you could say, because anything having to do with clothing, being in the world, other people always included some tension around the performance of gender, but in my own body, in my own practice, there was boundlessness. And so all of those things weave into my love and dedication of yoga and wanting to create space and share it with others in a way that is liberating and that does create space and the honors lineage I think lineage gets a bad rap right now, especially in the individualistic rebranded a million times US culture. And I do feel like it's um, very valuable to honor the shoulders we stand on, to not idolize our teachers. They're human also. And we are carrying, we are part of, part of a lineage, right? Like we, we didn't invent these teachings <laughs> at all. <laughs> They are part of a very long line that we that we get to sort of carry the torch forward. So yeah, that's how I started with yoga. That's a little bit about um, my experience with Iyengar lineage. And yeah, and I, I wish I wish so much that the culture of Iyengar yoga could shift. I'm sometimes part of that work, and then sometimes I realize I really have to step back. I don't know of any other out trans Iyengar yoga teachers. Yeah, it's kind of stunning, but I just don't. I love this practice. 
Um, there are various reasons we could talk about. It's kind of a whole other conversation about the culture of Iyengar yoga in the US and why things are the way they are. And, and there are a lot of people like working to change certain aspects that don't serve the community and the lineage. Um, and I, you know, there's, we're also in an interesting time, I think with yoga, like I started practicing and teaching before social media, like before Facebook, <laughs> much less Instagram. And so the, just the yoga world has changed so much. We could talk about that more if you want, but um, I do, I feel like I'm kind of bridging bridging that as well. Like even what the world thinks yoga is and some of the pushback on what yoga has become. It's interesting to find the language and be able to name the value of what I have to offer, right? Like I think a lot of people now are really seeking um, something that is just free form and affirming, kind of like do what you feel, come and and move in any way that feels good to your body. And I think there's so much value in that type of space. Um, I really love, for instance, contact improv dance, where it's really about following this moment to moment intuitive movement. And I have found so much value in directive action and asana where there is a template and there is a form and it's not like we're trying to all look the same or conform but there is um, a method to the madness as Rajiv Chanchani would say and and to have a map it's sort of like if you come to learn music like sure of course you want to be able to just improv at some point but first it's good to learn the scales and learn like in terms of asana, like what are, how do our bodies work? What is functional anatomy? What is the pattern and how do we learn to see and feel those patterns and change them? Um, and and what, are, what are the benefits of say a classical pose versus a pose that just looks cool for Instagram? And how do we name the difference without, um, you know, like my goal isn't to like be some snob and say, this is the only way to do yoga. <laughs> but there is a lot of value, I think in this, weird, nerdy, classic alignment-based stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all fun to talk about. That's, that's some of how I would answer that conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's, it's so obvious listening to you, how much your heart is in what you offer. And I was going to say in the work you do, but it feels bigger than that. Cause it's also your practice, right. And part of how you show up in the world, I guess. And as you were just describing, you know, this tension between some structure being helpful and supportive while also people, I mean, I, I would put myself in this category. I very rarely do everything a teacher tells me to do in a class and letting that be there too. Um, it reminds me of what you were talking about with like boundaries. And you also used the word boundlessness a moment ago too. And I think I don't want to get too black and white about it, but I do think sometimes in order to experience boundlessness, having some boundaries on the way there is really important. Um, and you even talked about how you were talking specifically about um, culture shifting within Iyengar, but it sounds like you've also done other activism. And I'm wondering where both boundaries and boundlessness have shown up for you as you navigate when is it time to lean into that work? When is it time to step back? 
to take care of yourself or to take a break. Like that's one thing we get asked about a lot. And I know both Tristan and I struggle with this. How do we keep going? Cause we can't be sustainable if we're just going all the time. Yeah. I'm very interested in the sustainability work of, you could say activism. I love bio Akumalafe's mm. world of post-activism as well. Um, but yeah, this, this change-making, right? Like I think centering care and focusing on the bigger sustainability piece is key because part of the problem is this super urgent rushing, pushing, grinding. And the situation is urgent, right? It's another one of these conundrums that we bridge. And I think there's a piece, this has been my inspiration of the last couple of days. There's really a piece for me that feels important about niching down what our role in the revolutionary momentum is. Like we can't do it all and we shouldn't be trying to do it all. And I think if we are clear, and of course that might change from moment to moment, from year to year, depending on who else is around us and what our situation is, that our role might change. But to be cognizant of what is my role, what, what is my piece to play and what isn't, that's a boundary, right? Like trying to do it all is, is like a lack of boundaries. And I like the, the metaphor that I've heard from a few different people, but certainly Julia Wolf, um, where it's sort of like if you're if you're a body of water with no boundaries, you're just like a puddle. There's a pond. There's like no momentum, mo no movement, right? But if there's boundaries, like a firm riverbank, then the river is going to flow. There's going to be movement. It's going somewhere. It has a force. It can carve out a canyon. But if there's too much boundaries, if it's a, if it's too um, rigid then it's more of like a dam, right? It, that like the power of the river can't flow. So it's just about finding moment to moment, right? Like where do we need to let go of rigidity or maybe where do we need to hold a boundary? And this is certainly work we can practice in an embodiment practice like asana, right? I think boundlessness can be incredibly beautiful, also terrifying, right? Which is why I think asana is a really great entry point for people to practice yoga. And some people say, oh, asana is just one of the limbs, all eight limbs, and I agree. And I think we can explore all of Patanjali's limbs through asana. Not that it always has to look like asana, but that's a binary that I feel like should be broken down as well. It's not like there's asana and then the rest of yoga. <laughs> it's certainly set up that way in the world, right? Where people practice asana in a more of a fitness mindset and nothing else, which is a problem. And we can explore all eight limbs through the conduit of asana. And, and it's tangible, like working with the body, it, you can create perhaps a little more containment in the nervous system to then experience something like letting go that otherwise could be really terrifying, triggering, could stir something up. Like how do we build a safe container in ourselves so that something inside can unclench and we can have a sense of spaciousness. I'm very interested in that's, that's on some level what informs a lot of how I, how I approach asana. Um, because the boundlessness is good, right? 
like on some level, just the word non-binary is a word that creates space. It's a word that by its very definition is creating space for something beyond or for something between that is neither this nor that. And so if we want to embody that sort of openness, silence, spaciousness, akasha, it is a little scary because it asks us to put down the structures that we have in place that sort of help us feel tethered to a sense of reality and help us feel grounded, right? So just to ask, say, a beginner who comes to yoga to like lay down and totally let go and relax everything, I think is a big ask and maybe confrontational. Like how can we build a little safety, feel our feet, engage our quads, feel where we are in space, and then maybe something can start to let go. Um, but this is a constant exploration for me. I, I do tend to have a lot of spaciousness and I have a taste for expansiveness. I, I love expansiveness where it feels like there's a sense of boundlessness and a sense of vastness. Maybe it's one reason I really love living in New Mexico. <laughs> there's such a big horizon. Um, where it's almost like the beauty isn't about what's right in front of your face, like trees and flowers. It's almost like what isn't there. Like there's actually a void or a space. I mean, I've lived here most of my life, so maybe I'm just accustomed to it. Mm. Um, but there is, I think we all have a different maybe comfort zone when it comes to spaciousness and certainly building a boundary is key, right? And so, and then to, to say, Put this into the context of something like activism if the goal is to shift out of these systems and structures that are harmful if there is this piece that requires a radical imagination or some way to feel grounded and centered enough that we can react and respond in a different way than the ways that we've been taught like if there is some component about sort of the need for spaciousness or for the unknown. It really comes back again to then how do we have boundaries and structures to make that possible? Because if we're totally in survival mode and we're stressed all the time, there's no room for radical imagination, right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the boundaries are really key. It's tricky too for those of us, which is most people who hold various intersecting social locations, some privilege mixed in with some oppressed identities. Like I tend to do, for instance, with the work with the National Association for Iyengar Yoga and in other spots, I tend to focus more on anti-racism. But then sometimes I have to also navigate within that, um, like being the only queer or non-binary person in the space and having to also field a lot of requests to do that type of labor and, the, and there's a blending, right? Like, where do I separate? Like, where do I need to step forward and where do I need to step back? Um, and that's all ever changing, right? But just to be aware of that dynamic, I think knowing that we can't do it all, knowing that like we, there are gonna be moments when we need to step forward. There's gonna be moments when we need to step back. There's gonna be moments when we need to like feel the riverbanks and be like, okay, okay, I'm making a boundary here. I mean, I think boundaries ultimately are like related to self-worth and self-love, right? Because if something is like 
crossing your boundary and you don't say no, then it's like, you're sort of on some level allowing this thing to happen to you that doesn't work, that isn't aligned. And so I'm learning that, like, for instance, with pronouns, there's a choice every time I get misgendered. It's like, do I want to set the boundary? It's going to take work, might be awkward, takes labor. But if I don't set the boundary, I feel crappy in my body. I don't feel good. So it's a choice and I get to navigate each time. It's nice when I don't have to make the choice, right? <laughs> but it's an interesting exploration of boundaries when we, I think, think of them in that way. Like, oh, this is something that affects how I feel in my body and how I relate to myself. And what ultimately, if I'm able to feel stable in myself, then I'm gonna be able to so much better show up and affirm that for others. So yeah, it's a whole piece of the equation, right? The boundaries, the space, and then the unknown and possibility, right? <laughs> possibility was, <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say possibility is the word that kept bouncing around in my head as, as you were talking. And I'm thinking about what you said earlier that you, I wrote it down. Hold on. You have a lot of faith in the unknown. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, there's another piece I want to mention quick, if you're okay with it. Do which it. Which I realized. Please. I wanted to loop back to. So for the last couple of days, I've been thinking about this conundrum between Santosha contentment and tapas, this like, you know, this fiery will, this tenacity, which we value a lot, right? That sort of like, get her done, gonna do the thing. Um, and then there's also like, but then how do we, how do we work for change or try to transform something? And at the same time, hold a sense of contentment, like being at peace with what is. Because if I think if we're too much like constantly trying to change everything all the time, then we get really exhausted and burned out. And it's just not fun and kind of creates a lot of problems for us and everyone around us, right? And so I've been thinking of this, like how, like what is it to hold both? And I went and read the sutra and Iyengar's commentary and it kind of blew my mind because Iyengar says basically, so from Saucha, from this purification, which I always relate to purifying our systems of internalized oppression, of binary gender, of white supremacy norms, whatever all that stuff is for us. So if we are in a process of purification, of cleansing, clearing that, that's what brings about the state of Santosha. And Santosha is the fuel, like it is what allows for tapas. And so this I think relates to our whole conversation about boundaries or like how do we have the will to make change making sustainable? Like if it's a reframe, right? Like instead of thinking of tapas and santosha as these two sort of maybe like opposing things, what if this sense of contentment and the sense of whatever that means, right? It could relate to like self-love or nervous system regulation or being connected to a boundlessness or who knows what that might mean, right? Or like acceptance or um, bird's eye view, long-term approach, whatever it is, like that essence of Santosha, if we're really established in that, it's from there that we have the fire to transform. That to me felt useful. Um, so I'll offer it here mm. as well. 
Mm. I needed to hear that. So thank you. Oh, <laughs> Especially today. So good. It's just so good. <laughs> yeah. It's a feisty season we're in with all of this. I feel like it is. I feel like if my sense of like, you know, at this stage with COVID at this stage with sort of like the anti-oppression world, the, I just feel like we're in sort of like a harsh threadbare place. Um, it's, it's an interesting time. Yeah. And it's, it's the moment we're in now and it will change and then it will, it will continue to evolve, but yeah, we are, we're in a very interesting moment right now. I have so many different places that we could go that I could take us that I want to talk about. Um, so many things came to mind as you were speaking. And, but the thing I want to, cause I'm also aware of time. And so the thing I want to bring in is the, is the word entrepreneur. Um, mm. Because I, I, you know, that's part of what we're exploring on this podcast is like social justice and entrepreneurship and how to be in, in both when we've been potentially I'll speak for myself. I've internalized messaging that, you know, you can't talk about your values and your work and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, but the reason I'm bringing it up with you, Avery, specifically in this way is because I've heard you actually call yourself an entrepreneur. Um, and I don't hear a lot of yoga teachers describe themselves in that way all the time. And I think it's a really interesting um, perspective on being a yoga teacher. And from my standpoint, um, having known you on social media now for, I don't know, however long it's been, um, you know, you're, you're working it, right? Like you're creating your own um, work and life in which to thrive um, in a way that, you know, let's say historically speaking, yoga teachers have relied on the studio model. Um, I've seen you move outside of the studio model. I don't know in the time I've known you, I don't know that I've ever seen you exist entirely within the studio model, you know? So <laughs> You know, if you could talk a little bit about what that's like for you and and to, you know, where your work as an activist um, fits in with that. And I know, you know, we've got like 20 minutes or so, but just give me a little glimpse. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I have really deliberately decided to learn about what it is to run a business in the last couple of years after teaching yoga and on some level on the books, running my own business for about 15 years, but really being in denial that I in fact own a business. I was a private contractor working in studios and I really didn't realize the high cost of what it took to feel like I had to assimilate into that culture. There was a very, and, and I'm greatly appreciative and, and have a ton of gratitude for the people and places that I taught and the studios I was a part of. And because of the mechanisms of capitalism in those spaces, it was a very clear ask not to be political. There was an unsaid um, rule structure about prioritizing making upper middle-class white folks comfortable at any cost. There was, um, you know, like a subtle policing around, yeah, okay, you can be a little weird, but not too weird, right? And so the, I had already been, been wanting to expand out beyond that. I didn't know how I, then COVID happened, right? Everything closed, the studios closed and 
it was really a wake up call to, you know, wow, I've been putting energy into this place almost every day for over a decade and I have nothing to show. I have no equity. I have no security. I rely on my teaching paycheck to paycheck, basically to pay my bills and support my two kids. So I wasn't in a position. I think a lot, some people teach yoga and they have some other job or they don't really rely on their yoga teaching income, which is fine if that's, you know, what works for you. And for me, like I do rely on it. And because I, I, I realized earlier on that if I was going to really commit the time and energy it took to center my life around yoga practice and teach in a way that I felt like I wanted to teach with the level of integrity and skill, it really required me to make it my main project. Again, if someone else has a full-time job and then they teach a couple yoga classes, like that's totally awesome. And for me, I really felt like in my early twenties, wow, this is an immense subject, totally worthy of a lifetime of study and dedication. And if I'm going to do that, I need to just do it full-time. And so, and I live in the U S in capitalism and I have to pay for stuff, right? Like I think yeah, I, I, I love some of the critique out there about like yoga shouldn't be free because who can offer it for free is people that don't need to make a living through their yoga classes, which means you're going to have like a lot of retired and upper class teachers, which of course falls, comes along with all the other um, identities that tend to be <laughs> in those, in those categories, right? It'll mostly maybe be like white, cisgender, hetero, et cetera, teachers. So, so I do feel like there's value in, um, in charging for our work as yoga teachers and being supported. And, and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a conundrum, right? Because we're taught that money is evil and that spirituality and money should never mix. And so I've had to do a lot of self-worth work. It was very convenient for me to avoid looking at my own weird inherited beliefs about money and self-worth that I got from some of my ancestors who really struggled with poverty. It was so easy for me to take some of that stuff and just um, call it spirituality. Mm -hmm. And as I started to recognize that this was really harming me, but also holding me back from being able to serve my students and have the impact I wanted to, to play so small, it, it, I realized that actually this work of confronting my weird self-worth and scarcity stuff around money was deeply spiritually healing work. Like I had to come to terms with, with ultimately some ancestral healing and, and really hard stuff. Um, which is to say, I think it's possible to be an entrepreneur and be anti-capitalist. I think it can be, it has been for me freeing to realize the things that I thought I had to hide in order to be successful, quote unquote, or professional, quote unquote, are actually the very things I need to bring forward and lead with. That has been so healing, like to be able to teach since I launched my own thing at the beginning of COVID online in a really authentic way and center queer and trans people and center folks that have been left out of mainstream yoga for all sorts of reasons. And yeah, start classes with a land acknowledgement and organize the money how I want and be able to offer equity pricing and, you know, all of it. I feel like it's given me so much more room to, to build something that feels 
like it has integrity and it's a total work in progress. I'm still on some level scraping along, but I'm building something that feels um, genuine and that I know is having really positive ripple effects. And I feel like now there's so much more possibility to grow, right? Whereas in the studio, it's sort of limited, right? Like I'd kind of climbed to the top of a certain ladder and it was still felt like such a grind. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. I think to be an entrepreneur is tricky. Like we're in an age where we're asked to monetize every passion, right? And, and so again, boundaries, right? Like what, what parts of your practice do you keep what part of your art, your dreaming, your community is not part of your business, is not part of your social media strategy? And then in what ways do you choose to step forward and, and bring that forward? Um, it's a cool game. I think it's very creative and iterative and, and has the potential to be invigorating and affirming and fun. You know, like I love games, board games or capture the flag. I kind of feel like entrepreneur world is like that it's sort of like wow here's this like huge playing field it's this game some of it we get to create as we go along we're gonna get really tripped up on all of our stuff but if we're interested in spiritual growth like geez here you go right if you run a business you're gonna come up against all of it like the amount of tapas it took me to really onboard with my bookkeeper recently was like you know, that was a whole process. <laughs> that was a whole process. And it was good. It was good for me. And now I'm on the other side of it. And it was like actually healing, you know, the process of asking for help, the process of showing myself that I can do this thing that feels hard. If you told me five years ago that like bookkeeping would have anything to do with spiritual growth I would have been like what like it would be laughable but I'm seeing now how these yeah this this thing we have our life and what we're going to create and do with it it has immense possibility and hopefully right we can we can find the practice and find the balance and find the support so it does feel like play at least some of the time right hmm. um yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's been the major piece, like lead with the parts of you that, that society has told you, you have to hide. Like we all need each other to just come out with those, with those parts. And the beautiful thing is then as we lead with those parts that society has told us are shameful, then we get to find the people who are struggling with that too. We get to find the people that really need what we have to offer. And that feels so satisfying. I love being able to teach people who have gone through some of the same struggles as me and who I really resonate with and who I know that we see each other. That is deeply nourishing for me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, um, I, I find this with a lot of yoga teachers, coaches, teachers, in general that we tend to talk about, teach on, support others with what we <laughs> ourselves have struggled with, maybe still struggle with. Um, and, you know, I, I also love that you're talking about it as a spiritual practice too, like entrepreneurship, because there's, if you want a self-growth journey, start a business <laughs> or <laughs> claim what you're doing as a business, like you did, you know, after so many years, because 
Yeah. I mean, financial well-being is definitely a big part of well-being overall. It can't be separated just like we can't separate our identities from each other. Everything intersects like money is part of that. And that's a common thread that's come up. I, Tristan, correct me if I'm wrong, but in every conversation we've had on here. So thank you for just your vulnerability and sharing that, especially because I'm betting there might be people listening who are telling themselves for whatever reason that their business isn't quote unquote legitimate for whatever reason, because maybe they have stuff around money too, but it's like someone who's been doing this 15, 16, 17 years <laughs> also works through that all the time. So thank you. For yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. I think it's really amazing to look at those beliefs we have around money. I, I've had a belief for a long time that like if I started to make more money, I would lose my community because so much of my community is about this sort of like queer working class struggle and anti-capitalism. And mm -hmm. I, and that was a real fear. Like, am I going to be ostracized? Am I going to lose my connection? And I've had to really experience how that when I have more and I'm not so stressed about money, I actually can give more. I uplift others. I give away a ton of cool money and it's okay if we don't constantly give it away too, right? Like we can, um, explore what it's like to have a savings and to like learn about you know what whoa what if I did save for retirement and what mm. you know like these types of things can be really edgy to think about um and also really empowering to, to be like yeah I can I can look at this stuff I can think about what will work for me I can build something so that I can feel supported and that so that when I get older you know it's, it's tricky, but yeah, I think it's good to look at this stuff sooner rather than later and kind of make peace with the weird situation that we're in. I know that if I'm just super broke and scraping by, I'm not going to be able to make decisions and choices and show up in the way that I want to, you know, like being poor is exhausting. It takes a ton of energy. <laughs> it takes a lot of extra time. And it's and expensive. So it's expensive. It's totally expensive. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this it's, it's super tender. It's super tender learning about it all. And I do, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see the different ways that people, um, find new systems and structures and ways of being that actually can work for us. Right. It's exciting. I think there's so much critique and, and reframes and pushback. And at the same time, we're all trying to make it and navigate it all. And, and we are scared and there is probably some scarcity and we're so indoctrinated with competition and this thought that, oh, if this person is thriving, then I'm not gonna be able to thrive. But if I thrive, they're not gonna be able to thrive. So I definitely don't wanna thrive. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, what does it look like if we can all thrive? And what if that, um, Kelly Palmer just spoke to this. Um, she's so awesome. So but yeah, like what, what if that was the, the organizing structure, everybody thriving like that, that is the, the quality of nature, right? That is the given. We have definitely gone down a different path, right? Um, <laughs> and sometimes the forces of power feel 
so big. It's like, oh, I'm so small. We're so small. How do we, how do we shift something so big like racial capitalism and institutionalized oppression and, and like climate change, right? Like these things feel so huge. And there's a Ursula Le Guin quote I wish I could pull up that basically is like, you know, climate change, maybe not. We have to, <laughs> we have to figure out how to relate to that very real reality. But in terms of capitalism, like that was never around forever. Like our human spirits have been around much longer and we will be around after capitalism. People thought the divine rule of kings was this all everlasting thing. And now it's not, we don't have that. And so these big systems and structures, you know, they may not happen in our lifetime, but our, our boundless radiant soul <laughs> is bigger than these systems. I do believe that. And the more we can lean into that and let that inform us and give us faith and trust, you know, I, I think so much is possible. Yeah. Thank you, Avery. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, it's vulnerable to talk about money, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for leaning in with us, truly. Um, it's a gift, a gift to, to, to witness and hear and, and share it with you. Um, and I know it'll be a gift for people to listen in too. Um, as we wrap up, I want to make sure we give you a chance to say anything you'd like to say that you haven't had an opportunity to um, or any part of your work you want to highlight for our listeners and, and we'll you know, include links to your website um, and social in the show notes. So that'll be there for them to find you as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Oh, I love our conversation. Really tons of gratitude. If anyone wants to stay in touch, I would love for you to come in any form. Yoga with Avery on Instagram. I'm not really on Facebook. Yogawithavery.com is my website. I teach online. I also have some exciting in-person things coming up. I have a retreat happening in Mexico in November. And by the time you all are listening to this, you know, reach out if you want to come. It's such an incredible, beautiful, radical crew who signed up. I'm also offering in March a queer trans yoga retreat in Costa Rica, which is very, very exciting. Um, I actually never would have dreamed of being able to offer that, but doing the Mexico retreat and, and seeing who signed up, I realized, wow, we really could do a yoga retreat centered around this beautiful, beloved, amazing, rad community. And so um, look out for that. I'm also offering, by the time this plays, it may be going, but you could always get the replay, a free six-week yoga series called Queer Care. And it's really focused on common issues like back care, neck issues, pelvic floor stuff, anxiety. You know, there's just a lot of real practical things that people struggle with. And I want us to have access to these good stabilizing healing practices. So, so definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, and just planting a seed. Yeah, basically there's some big exciting things in the works. Um, so keep in touch for sure. Yogawithavery.com is my website. Check it out. Um, and, and yeah, come, come play. I'm here and I'd love to have you in, in the space. 
Thank you, Avery. I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's some big, exciting things in the works because I, I want that for you and I have lots of ideas. I'm like, Avery needs to write a book. I've already said that to you. I feel <laughs> like I may have already said that to you. I'm like, there's got to be a book on your list somewhere along the way. Um, no pressure though. <laughs> you know, it could happen. I think it would have to be like a lot of visual art in there, like maybe a graphic novel. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I love that you have that vision for me. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, we didn't get to do a lot of it in this conversation, but I have, have witnessed Avery bring yoga philosophy into their teaching in a way that is just so accessible and practical and beautiful. Like the way you talk about the sutras, like I'm just you know, it is a gift. It is a, it is a gift. And I want you, I, I just, I want to see that gift be shared beyond, <laughs> beyond, beyond, beyond the beyond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Lauren, anything we, you want to say as we wrap up? Uh, just that I'm so grateful. This was amazing. And I'm going to be thinking about a lot of what you said for the rest of the day, the rest of the week. I'm so excited for this to come out be shared with people. Cause I know if I need to hear it, a lot of other people need to hear it. So yeah. yeah. Thank you for being you, Avery. You're so welcome. Yeah. So much reciprocation. So good. Yeah. Much love to you all. You too. Thank you. All the fuck in is independently produced by your hosts, Tristan Katz and Lauren Roberts to help us keep bringing you new episodes on all things, social justice and entrepreneurship you can donate over on our website at alltfnpodcast.com. That's A-L-L-T-F-I-N podcast.com. Your donation supports original content that promotes social justice and individual and collective change. A portion of our proceeds benefits a radical organization of our choosing each month. Any amount is helpful and greatly appreciated. Death is a pill. Death is a pill. Death is a pill.